This is episode 168 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Welcome to episode 168 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today, I have Sid and Ishan Cobert on the show. And these are two guys that really just got their journey started in late 2019, getting into real estate. They were a true rags to riches type story. I'm not saying that they've achieved rich or that they would describe it that way, but uh, they really have... Uh, hit a grand slam as far as progress goes, I would say. So they went from not knowing anything about real estate investing to going to all the meetups in, uh, you know, end of 2019, early 2020. And uh, they bought their first property in March 2020. And now they're at 20 plus doors. They're wholesaling properties, distributing 40,000 flyers a month. And uh, they were both still working full time jobs up until yesterday when Ishan actually quit his job. So it was a well-timed interview. And I'm confident that you're gonna get a lot out of this because these guys hold nothing back. They really were transparent in the interview. They talked through their strategies. They talked nuts and bolts. They talked numbers. This had a lot of meat and potatoes to it. And it's something that a lot of investors can take something from. So before we get into that, if you could kindly just take a moment, like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell on this video and leave a comment below. And if you're an audio listener, please rate and review this podcast so more people can find it. And without further ado, let's jump into episode 168 with Sid and Ishan Kober. Hello and welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. I have Sid and Ishan Kober, is right? That, that's your name, both of your last names? Yes. yes. Okay. Yes. Are you guys brothers? Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So you guys are real estate investing together. I don't think I've ever had a, a two sibling team on here. So uh, thanks for being the first. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to be Absolutely. here. Okay, Thank so you. which one's Sid and which one's Ishan? So I'm Sid, Sid. and he's Ishan. Oh, Ishan, okay. Yeah. All right, um, do you guys mind telling me, I think like I've seen messages from you guys from like maybe a couple of years back on Instagram. I think we were chatting here and there. Yes. Um, and I know you guys have been listening to the podcast for a long time. Do you yes. mind just giving me a bit of a backstory, how long you've been in real estate, how you got into this, and uh, we'll take it from there. Yeah, a little bit of our backstory would be um, we're from India. Um, we were born filthy rich. We were like literally millionaires when we were born. And uh, that went south real quickly uh, from having like three cars, maids and uh, drivers to um, Diwali being the most auspicious occasion for our culture. Um, forget about bursting crackers. We didn't even have money to eat food. Um, from there, um, we had a rough patch. Um, we adapted. Um, we did our education. Our education was paid by, by someone else. Uh, we got great, good grades and we finished our education. And then we are like, okay, India is good, but there is not a lot of opportunities to seize here. We need to do something big. Um, our parents had separated by that time and our mother had made one house for herself. So we didn't have money to go abroad and pursue higher education. So that time uh, we put a lien against our mom's house so that we could, both of us could get student loans to come here and do our education abroad. We came here, we got good grades, amazing grades. We got amazing jobs and we paid off our student debts and our mom's home was free. That was like a big relief to us. Um, so during this whole phase, we felt like we were always pushed in the corner and we just excel and exceed all the expectations. And once we had like stable jobs, like my brother was working for Microsoft, I was working for one of the top five metal companies as software developers. After that, we are like, what is the next challenge in life? This seems very different because like we are not pushed in the corner and there's no challenge. So we are like, something is off. Like, this does not feel right. This is not normal. Um, at that time, we took a break. We went to Europe for a vacation, for a two-week vacation. Um, at that point, we had no real estate, nothing. We, I didn't even know we wanted to do real estate. So we went on a two-week vacation to one of the festivals that we hold very close to our heart called Tomorrowland. Um, during this two-week, we almost blew... 30 to $40,000, which we didn't have. And then we come back and we are like, okay, 
that was the best time of my life. And I'm supposed to work all year to save up for this vacation. And then this is like, I get to live real life for two weeks in a whole year. And then I have to go back to normal life, which is not fun at all. And you're like, there must be a way out. This is, this does not feel right. And that's when we explored real estate investing and we have been hooked from that time onwards. What, what was the time frame of that? So obviously, so you kind of came to a realization similar to what I came to. I'm like, why do people do this? Like I thought you just get more educated, like just go get a PhD and then you can be wealthy. But that's obviously not the way that works, right? You can get a slightly higher paying job, but then people just pay more for rent and, and they're no better off. So time frame wise, when did this happen? This realization? So um, I think 2019, July, we came back from Europe. And then by September, we were attending all the meetups, which were in Burlington, um, Toronto, London, Windsor, all of the meetups, you would see us everywhere. Um, that was the time frame when we started educating ourselves towards investing. And by that time, we were like broken. We had no money. In fact, we had some debts at that time. So I would say 2019 September is when we started educating ourselves and 2020 March was when we bought our first property amidst the peak of COVID. Okay. So you guys got started sort of at the right time, I guess, because that was when yeah. things kind of yeah. dipped, they dipped a little bit right there. So did you end up buying something at a reduced price or did you buy before prices went down a bit? So we first started looking in the Windsor market since we did our masters of computer science from that market. Um, so we tried finding a deal, but we weren't able to, and we were trying to close something at 5% down because we had no money. We, like, I think he had 13,000 in our SPI, I had 12, so not even 25 grand together. And uh, we are like, 5% is the way to go because we don't have the money. So we started looking in the Windsor market, we could not find anything. And then we slowly realized there is another way of finding deals, which is buying a wholesale deal. So we did end up buying a wholesale deal from our from our first mentor, Austin, yeah. And uh, that deal was pretty good for what we were looking for because it was a turnkey luxury student rental kind of setup. Um, and it was completely renovated top to bottom, like pot lights everywhere, like nicely renovated. So once we bought that property, we just had to furnish it and start doing our luxury student rental. Correct. Okay, so luxury student rentals in Windsor, that's, that's how you started then. So mm-hmm. first one was, was March, 2020. Yes. yes. And um, then what happened from there? Did, did you guys, you didn't have to do any rentals, right? You just put some furniture no. in it and that was good. Yeah. You put some furniture in, uh, there was a dense space that we converted into a bedroom. So yeah. by, like in the beginning we were hungry and we were down to get dirty. So we did make a room out of that, that den by ourselves just to get a hang of things. And that was, that was Ishan's primary. Mm-hmm. So the moment he locked that deal up, I'm like, okay, I need to close something as well. So I was looking for deals in Cambridge area because he had gotten a work from home letter from his office. So he could buy a primary pretty much anywhere. For me, I could not get a work from home letter. So I started looking in the Cambridge area because it's still drivable from my uh, office location, which is in Mississauga. So we were looking for ideally something that we could convert into a duplex, like a duplex conversion project. But then we stumbled upon this property where we are right now, uh, which was, which already had a legal secondary dwelling unit. So we got this for 440, 442, 442. And that wasn't uh, like a steal of a deal. It was market price, but we liked the area so much because this house is pretty much the smallest and the cheapest house in this pocket of area. Like everything besides me is a million dollar, $2 million, $4 million overlooking the river, like luxury stuff. So we got this at that time. I think this was April, 2020. Okay. So you guys are moving pretty quick. Now you guys only had a little bit of money. Um, I'm trying doing, doing quick math here. What what did you need for, for a 5% down on, so four four forty eight times yeah. 0.05, You needed twenty two. I thought you only had like thirteen. Yeah, twenty two point five plus closing cost, lawyer fees. So it's yeah. like around twenty five thousand ish. And sometimes you have to show six point five percent of yeah. the total purchase price in your account. That's what the bank wants to see. So we knew this was going to happen, and 
that is one of the reasons we always emphasized on educating ourselves before getting into it. Yeah. So before we started real estate investing, the learning phase from July until March was to acquire as much lines of credit as possible. So there is a policy where Equifax gets updated once a month by the yeah. end of the month, right? So yeah. within the end of the month, if there are multiple credit inquiries done on your account, nobody yeah. knows how much leverage you have from the bank, yeah. how line of credit you have used from the bank. So within one month, we went to specific banks like Scotia Bank, for example, if you have a credit card with Scotia Bank, you can convert it into line of credit. Yeah, yeah, I've done that. Yeah. yeah, this was one thing which we knew. Another thing was National Bank of Canada, where there's something called line of credit for engineers plan, which basically gives you up to $50,000 based on your income at prime plus 0.25. Prime was 2.45% back in the day. So it's less than 3% for $50,000. So I got 50 from there, 40 from Scotia, 10 or 15 from TD. So I'm, I'm over $100,000 in my lines of credit already. Yeah. And yeah. similarly with SID as well. So we had nearly $200,000 of line of credit even before we began our journey. Yeah. yeah. And that's not to be taken lightly, like looking at these numbers, like lines of credit, like the, the payments are actually very reasonable. But I mean, I've taken out like on, on my first heavy reno, I, I had like, $50,000 of credit card debt. Like just, I was like everything, all the lumber, everything went through the credit card because I didn't have the cash to pay for it. And I had the construction loan coming back, but I had to like pay for it first. So um, this is the type of thing that works really well for short-term financing. And I like how you guys just had no excuses. Oh, we don't have much. Well, we'll just learn what are other people doing. Clearly we're not the only ones that, that came from absolutely nothing. We'll figure it out. Absolutely. And there's, there's always a way to do that. So in terms of, of showing down payment, though, typically the banks want to see it for 90 days, right? So did you guys have to take it off a line of credit and leave it sitting in your account for 90 days? So that was interesting where we being brothers come and play because Ishan had 13 coming from his RRSP. Yeah. We, we had the money and our lines of credit. So I give Ishan uh, gift okay. letters. <laughs> That's actually hilarious. So you can get him the money, he can get you the money. And, and then just That's like fine. that. Less than one month later, when I'm closing, he gives me a gift letter. So we are closing on both the properties. I think we were out of pocket. I think 35 on Nishan's property because he had to give a wholesale fees. And for my property, we were 25 out of pocket. Yeah. So, so yeah, roughly 60,000 we were out of pocket when we had only 25. And if I'm not mistaken, there's nothing wrong with doing that, right? You're allowed to gift him the money, let you guys, your family members. So according to the rules, that's fine. I mean, that's not advice to anybody. Do your own research, but that was my understanding. So that's actually really smart and a really good uh, thing when you got two brothers investing together. Okay, so you guys got two properties real quick. And uh, obviously the market's been uh, favorable for uh, appreciation since yeah. then. So you've probably built quite the net worth. What were the next moves after after those two? So while we were buying these two properties, we bought Ishan's property, which cash flows $1,000 every month. Um, so that was like our uh, safety net. And then on my property, we were renovating the basement unit because we didn't have the money at that time. So we were renovating it ourselves, which we don't do anymore because it's not, not so fun and not the best use of our time. So the basement unit while renovating, uh, one of our dear friends, James Fernandez suggested like, why don't you do Airbnb? Because that is the next thing which is booming. So we renovated the basement downstairs, made it look fancy. And we started doing Airbnb in the basement. So that used to get us like two grand to 2.6 grand from a 450 square feet basement unit in Cambridge. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's so cool. that pretty much paid our mortgage and part of our utilities. And we live upstairs in the two bed unit, like pretty much paid like three, 400 bucks for utilities. So smart. Yeah. yeah. If, if you come from the frugal mindset, like those, those decisions are so easy to, to make. I've, 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 again, you probably heard me say this. I've run this by my wife. She won't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I think moving forward, we, we had um, a friend of ours who was looking to, he saw what we are doing and what we are making out of the real estate investing side. And he was like, I trust you guys. I want you to help me buy a property. Let's partner together. And that time we were trying to find a student rental for him near Windsor. 
he also started from Windsor. So we felt comfortable doing that. So we got a property under contract and uh, we went firm on it. And at the last moment, the bank pulled out and said, you're trying to buy a primary and that is too close to the university. So I know what you're doing. So I'm not going to give you the mortgage. So you're like, oh, damn, we are firm on this property. So what is our next move? Um, it was his first property. So we didn't want to put him in a pickle. Mm -hmm. So what we did was we closed on the property ourselves uh, using some private money and uh, it needed some love. So we gave it some love. So this was September of 2020. Mm -hmm. And then we eventually sold it, uh, I think in January or February of 2021. Okay. Were you able, I mean, obviously the market just kept going up all that time. So yeah. I'm guessing you were able to make a good bucket, especially Windsor. Windsor was like 30% a year over that period. Yes. I think uh, after everything was said and done, we made like, I think 20 grand or so. Uh, not a lot, but at the same time, like we wanted to get rid of that property because it was on private mm -hmm. uh, and just like it was sucking a lot of money. Yep. So that's sort of taking your medicine. I mean, unfortunately, you guys were able to make some money on it, but I mean, that's when, you know, a, 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 that's a fail, but it turned out pretty yes. well. And I, I've been there too, right? Like you, yes. sometimes you just got to take the medicine and that, yep. that's not fun. But the best part that came out of it was we got exposed to private lending. Correct. Until that time, we were in a mindset where, oh, we don't have money. How do we find a deal? How do we yeah. even close the deal? And then after we got exposed to private lending, it's just our, it just opened our brains to like you just need to find a deal and everything else will fall in place yeah i'm of the opinion any good deal gets funded correct yeah. find right. a good deal you, you will find the money there will be somebody that, that'll see the value you do right because uh yeah. like think about it if, if other people would be willing to buy that property then certainly other people are going to be willing to finance that property and, absolutely um, I, the bigger challenge is just figuring out something that okay yes i can buy it and yes i can renovate it and sell it and make a gain but it's the what ifs the market doesn't continue to go up or market goes down, then what will I do and make sure that this isn't something that will, will break me. And everybody's got their own comfort level with that. Like some people are just super comfortable with taking the more risk. And at some times I think that's appropriate, but not for everybody. Uh, of course, of course you guys are, we're not playing really that game, right? Windsor was still yeah. at cash flow at that time. So you had a good contingency. Correct. Correct. Okay. So do the next steps. Yeah. So I think uh, after that, so this partner of ours was still looking for a property. So you in, rewind to what happened in January 2020. Yeah. So January 2020, even before we bought any of our properties, yes. we had this uh, landlord of ours where we were staying in his rooming house back when we were studying there. So after like we started into investing, we go back to him. He has like 10, 15 properties there. Uh, we go back to him and say, Hey, I want to buy all your houses. Um, so he's like, you don't even own anything. I'm like, we have good salaries. We could do this. And we know how the student rental market is. We have lived in this house. So <laughs> sell me one of your houses. So he decided to sell it to us. But by the time we, we were newbies at that time. So by the time we got in under contract, um, the price just kept going up because we didn't know how to negotiate. We yes. didn't know. Uh, we have to get everything in writing rather than yes. being on a verbal note. So the day we got it under contract, some woman from Brampton just shows up and sees the foreign sign. Like we got it under contract for 320 when we started the negotiation four months back from 270. <laughs> and we are like, like, why didn't we get it? Like, why didn't we get anything signed? Like he, but was, he was, he was, he was, we were budging on the fact that if he does the roof, roof, He's going to give it to us at 285. If he doesn't do the roof, he's going to give it at 280. Now we were budging for five grand because we were no, we didn't have much information. And, and then finally, finally we got it under contract for 320, but this lady from Brampton shows up and she just gives an offer for 350. And we are like, Oh my God, I don't think we can, I can match that because that number does not even make sense anymore. So you might as well give it to her. And I'm very happy for you. Yes. And then, we see in the contract, it says vacant on position and it's seven bedroom rooming house. So vacant on position is not a possibility. So that falls through. So we leverage our network to help him sell that deal to another investor for the same price. So he's happy. Yes. And we didn't get anything, but we are happy that he makes the money. So we are like, okay, what are you going to sell next? Yeah. I would like to buy that. He's like, I have a duplex just in Walkerville. And he's like, but I don't sell two properties a year because of tax perspective. So we're like, okay, let's do this. Like, can you sell it to us right now? But we close 
next year, January, that's 2021 January. And he gives it to us for a duplex for 330, 330. Yep. And then 2021 January, our partner is still looking for a deal. Yes. So we are like, okay, you need to buy this, but you're not allowed to buy this at five percent because this is a proper burr. Yes. So by the time we close on it, its market value was 380, 390. So we had a lot of money on the close. Um, we somehow managed the money around our partner, and that was the big uh, fiasco as well because he didn't have the money. He could not qualify for the mortgage. We are like, okay, get your girlfriend on title. Yes. So you could qualify for the mortgage. And in that way, the girlfriend's mother can write you a gift letter, but we don't need the money. I will just we'll rotate the money amongst ourselves. So he was able to close on the property for 20%. And we did some renos. And come March 2021, how much did four, we finance this for? 485. So 485, he got on the refinance value. But then again, his salary was not enough. So basically his TDS or the GDS, either of the one, I think TDS was not coming up to the part. So what happened is basically he could only get 75% loan to value, which came down to $363,000. Now $363,000 encapsulated the down payment for 330 and the purchase price along with the $30,000 reno. So we barely made like $5,000 of profit where we could have made another $20,000 but he had a car. So the car payments, now we are trying to educate him. If you want to get into real estate, like initially you have to make a little bit of sacrifice so that you can push forward your growth and then gradually you can get the car and that. So that's the property. We did a complete burr. Jan 2020, we started. March 2020, 2020 sorry, 2021. Jan 2021. Yeah, Jan 2021, we started the purchase. And then March 2021, we had refinanced the property. Yeah. So you guys were, were pretty active there, obviously moving, moving pretty quickly. So you, this partner, are you guys 50, 50 with him? Yeah. We are oh. 50 with him. So you yes. guys share 50% and then he has the other 50%. Yeah, correct. He's on the mortgage and yeah. ultimately worked out to be a perfect burr for him. Yeah. And but, it flowed after as well, since it was a duplex. So why, I mean, I guess you guys had already kind of talked to him about this, but when people go with JVs, I always like to understand why, because, um, for me, it needs more. It needs to be more than just the money. Now, do you guys find that that's the case here? Um, like, what's the main benefit you feel you get from doing that as a JV? So, our our main goal when we started investing was to break and make things go through each strategy, so we know what we feel actually comfortable with. So, we started with student rental. We started with uh, multiple units, Airbnb. Then this private lending in the third property. The fourth property was JV. So our goal is to try all the different faucets and whoever we are comfortable with, work with them. And this friend of ours is very close. We were looking at some moon, some night during our engineering days and how we are going to make it in this country. We had no idea. And this guy was very close to me. So I was like, okay, let's work with him. Okay. So that was the strategy behind doing different things. Like, And then in January, 2021, we realized everything starts from a deal. If you have the deal, you can dictate and navigate the next steps. So our goal was to start wholesaling. So January 2021, we started wholesaling and we were living in Cambridge. Slowly, slowly, we were getting into wholesaling, learning wholesaling, how to do wholesaling and all that stuff. Okay. Yeah. And did, uh, did you guys quit your jobs or you're both still working full time? Um, I just quit my job yesterday. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> All timed uh, interview then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Sid, you're still working? I am still working. Um, I will eventually quit as well as we stabilize our business mm -hmm. side, stabilize the wealth generation side and the active side. So we have enough money to yeah. fund off. Do you guys have an active corporation that pays you so that you can start um, showing income so that you can keep qualifying for mortgages? We have started an active corporation for wholesaling this year. Last year, when we started a corporation, we were told that unless you make a lot of income, just keep one corporation and do everything on that corporation, like Airbnb rentals. The money was rented to the corporation and the corporation was running the Airbnb. Wholesaling was done under that corporation. And we purchased an apartment building in Cambridge. We also bought that under one corporation because okay. we were just yeah. putting money in and the money was not coming out in that manner. Yeah. 
The only thing tricky there is if you want to go back and refinance that apartment building. Now, when you present to the lender, if you give them financial statements for the company, it's a mismatch of a lot of things. It's not just, yes. it might get a little bit stickier when you're trying to apply for a loan, showing them your financial statements. And it's like, well, that wasn't related to this property. Um, that is true. Like you're absolutely right. Like you, you try to separate as much as you can in the beginning, but mm. sometimes like for, for our situation, we didn't want to incur more costs, but we right. were rapidly growing. So right now is the time when we are separating all our corporations and separating businesses according to how yes. our accountant addresses. Yeah. And, and you mentioned something before, which I think is worth talking about is, is, when you have um, like somebody just got a new car, like as a mortgage agent, I remember like going through that so much and just being so annoyed by it that uh, basically like I'd have a mortgage deal done. And then the guy like from when we did the pre-approval to when they went to want to get approved, they would have gone out and bought a new car and got a you know $600 a month payment. I'm like, okay, well you did qualify, but now you don't. <laughs> so you could just, you know, return the car or pay off that loan and then we'll be okay but wait, you don't have the money to do that. So um, that's something definitely to think about. Now, some of the things you can do is uh, you can get uh, a RIN, like a number for your company, and you can actually buy your vehicles in your company and take yeah. your loans. Even if you personally guarantee them, my experience is that personally guaranteed loans in a company don't show up on my credit. That's been my experience. I'm not saying everybody would have that experience, but that's what I've seen so far. So there's like something where all of a sudden it doesn't affect you. And I'm always like thinking about that. Like anything I do in my name, this is going to affect me. So, Hey, is there any way I can buy that in the company talking to my accountant? Hey, can I put this in the company? <laughs> I mean, at very worst, you just pay dollar for dollar back, whatever the loan is like, you know what I mean? Like this is what my thought process is. And these are just ways to make sure you keep your personal name clean so that you don't have any, um, any issues getting future financing. Absolutely. So, so we are of the ideology that any, anything that's depreciating, you buy all cash. You don't take out mortgages for that, like, like cars. Any loans. Yeah, just buy it outright, and whatever you can buy, that is what you can buy. If you go on on a payment, then you'll just yes. buy something that you can't afford, and then you just stuck with payments. Mm -hmm. Like in the scenario of our friend, uh, he was allowed to qualify only for three hundred. The property you're trying to close was three thirty, and by that time, the Windsor market had taken off, and you could find anything for three hundred. Now this <laughs> this two hundred dollar payment. Uh, reduces his uh, mortgage capacity by 30,000. Yeah, 200 or $400. Yeah, I, I think exactly it's 200. 200 drops yeah. it by $30,000. So hmm. that was the discrepancy which did not yeah. allow him to buy that property. And then we had to go through the whole circle yeah. of getting his girlfriend on title. And even with the refinance, we could not refi it for 80% loan to value because he had a lot of debt. We had to refi yeah. it at 25. Correct. So he was leaving a lot of money on the table. Yeah. Um, if he didn't have the car, he would have made another 25,000 and he could have probably gone and purchased, purchased that car. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. so I would suggest don't buy cars on payments unless you are yeah. you have a good real estate portfolio or you think you have established what you want and then you go and buy luxuries from the money you get from your real estate. Hey, I like that philosophy. I mean, I think at the end of the day, uh, for a lot of people, the growth strategy is going to be moving more over to like commercial banking where it's not about you anyway, but I agree like from a, from a personal finance standpoint, that's certainly not a bad idea um, to be able to deprive yourself of the things you want until you've earned them, I think is, is well worthwhile. Okay. So tell me about this apartment building you bought. So we, we started wholesaling and we were learning different faucets of wholesaling, how to talk to people, emotional, psychological, what's the number you start with, how do you end and all that stuff. We were two people. So that was really working in our favor. So whenever we used to go and connect with a family or someone, one person will engage the other per one person and the one person will engage the other person. This way you have, you have a good understanding of what the person is thinking and try to dig into their why while the other person can talk the numbers specifically and specifically focus on the deal. So we found a five unit, four or five unit building in Cambridge. It is a half an acre lot and the zoning was RM4, which allows multiple expansion based on the, uh, the lot size. And the lot size was 22,000 square feet, which was pretty good. And the density was also really good. So learning, understanding all these things, we were like, okay, this is something we would like to get. And we offered them some price 
And then they were like, maybe it'll work out or we need more and other things. But then I was thinking, why don't you go with the realtor if you really need more money, right? But then there were so many issues where the tenants were suing the owner uh, the landlord tenant board and uh, Cambridge City with all, there was a lot of uh, behind the scenes going on. So we told them, hey, listen, we can give you an offer where we take all your problems. You don't have to worry about that. And what's a good price where we can work around? So they confirmed the price. We were happy about it. We got this building for $810,000 and the appraisal came at $960,000. So we made $150,000 on the buy, but we did not have any money to close because we already were leveraged, right, in other properties. So we were discussing how to go about it. Now, JV, when the deal is so good and you're exposed to private lending, it's like, how, how do you go about it? Because we have got the taste of private lending. So now we were like, okay, let's explore the roots of what options we have. And once we have all the options on the table, you yeah. can go about So it. I think by that time, we had realized that our time is becoming more and more valuable because we are trying to get into different businesses like wholesaling, and we really don't have time doing our full-time jobs. So we're like, okay, that student rental in Windsor, it's been a year, so you can actually sell it because yeah. that's a lot of work, uh, even though it's $1,000 cash flow, but that is not the direction we want to be in. So we sold that, we got $150,000. And we are like, okay, let's see how can we get into this deal creatively. Um, so there is one of the lenders named Kyle Ford from KWC. Uh, we reached out to him and he saw the opportunity and the numbers look really good. So we asked him, I want to get into this deal at 0% down. He's like, okay, if you can get me 950 appraisal, you're good. And the appraisal came in at 960. So we got into the deal with none of our money down. Yeah, I was just going to say, you can do deals with zero down as long as your appraisal comes. <laughs> like the banks won't allow that, but private lenders will. I mean, they, they understand there's people who know how to get a good deal. Um, you know, even on market deals, if somebody underprices something and you get in day like one or two, like I did that, we did that with our campground. Like we got in there real quick and uh, we got it tied up and we knew we got a good deal and the appraisal came in much higher and so zero down and those are uh, those are nice deals when you get them of course we have a lot of other money to spend on that deal so it was good that we were able to do that but, yeah uh, okay so glad to hear that worked out how many units is that building uh that's a five unit building so um we got the deal we towards the end of closing and we found out that oh it has so many issues um so ishan went back to the seller and got another ten thousand reduction so we finally had it had the deal for 800 can i can i add yeah. that so whenever you are buying a building or anything you got to do your due diligence irrespective of how much meat on the bone you have so what i did is i applied at the city to find out if there are any outstanding open work permits or any more issues that the owner has not let me know about it yet so it took a it took two to four weeks they removed yeah. the address and the personal details of the owner and they give you what permits were initially opened, closed, and still are open. Mm -hmm. So I found out a lot of issues still coming up. And then I was like, okay, either you solve it or I, I'll solve it. And you've not even let me know in the past one month that these were yeah. something, right? So when I do my homework, I got another $10,000 reduction. So those were not in your contract, but they were a material undisclosed defect that the seller didn't disclose to you. Yes. So because he didn't disclose it, it had to be dealt with, right? Exactly. Yeah. Did you have your lawyer's advice on that? No, we were we were educated enough where, where people were buying duplexes and they found out that it's a single family home. So we were like, always do the homework, like yeah. based on other people's experience. Yeah. Even, even lawyers, like when we do wholesaling, we always advise that we'll play for your, the other person's lawyer because we've seen lawyers hijack the deal from the sellers when they see, oh, it's so under market, I'll buy it myself, right? Yeah. So. We have seen that happening. So we have done a lot of homework and I think that has come to a lot of fruition. So you pay, so you write a contract and say, we'll pay for your, your lawyer's review, but, so but you're going to pick the lawyer or? So what we do is we'll give them a list of lawyers yeah. who we work with regularly. And we tell them like, as long as you pick one of these lawyers, we pay for your lawyer. If you get your own lawyer, you pay for it. So yeah. our lawyers understand the whole wholesaling process so they're like yeah. once you see the contract it's not like multiple red flags going yeah. on but 
a normal lawyer who probably is in real estate or is not in real estate and who has only seen MLS deals, all sorts of red flags go off and they're like, this is not going to happen. And then yeah, they, if they don't understand it. You're, yeah. Usually, I mean, it used to be if, if somebody had to discuss an investment with their lawyer, I'm like, okay, that's not happening. Like the lawyer, yeah. lawyers do not gain by telling you to invest in something. They only take on liability. It's much more in a lawyer's interest to sell you, tell you not to do something or all the red flags because then they don't face future liability from you one day saying, I lost money because they're never going to come back to you and say, Hey, you told me not to do that deal. And it ended up being worth, you know, a million dollars more than I bought it. People don't do that, but they would come back to the lawyer and say, you told me to do that deal. And I lost money. Um, so just kind of keeping that in mind, I like, man, that's, that's crafty. Did you guys come up with that idea yourself? Uh, we spoke to a few wholesalers and saw how they worked and discussed our issues right. because so at this point we were very well plugged into the network. Yes. Like we, we knew everyone pretty much. So we were having like we had a really good relationship with everyone and we would discuss and bounce off, off ideas from each other which has really helped us. And by that time, you're like, okay, you also face the same issue. Yes. Every time it goes to anyone's lawyer, it's like the deal is done. It's not going to happen. So like even like step up deposits. So when you're trying to justify why you're just giving a thousand dollar deposit for a half a million dollar or a million dollar building, like I'm not going firm yet. Once I go firm, what is the deposit amount you would like to see? I can place it during that time. So yeah. you're mitigating the the concerns and actually answering in a way that they can understand rather than, Hey, I'm doing wholesaling and that's how I do. No, no, that's not how you do business. Yeah. Well, there are some people that'll just argue, well, Hey, I, I do this all day long. We tie up a lot of buildings and uh, you know, because of that, we do, we do relatively small deposits, but they find a way to spin it and still get the seller to, uh, yeah. to agree. Right. I mean, it's whatever you can sell, right. Yeah. It, it, you, have, you have to know your own voice and how you can, how you can position that. But I, the step up deposit, that's a common one. Realtors use that too. Um, you know, while we're doing due diligence, we're not going to give you a whole bunch of money, but we will step it up once we go firm. Yeah, correct. And and in that scenario, we can, as long as it's assigned before we get done, we go firm. We can use the the buyer's deposit to be pushed towards the seller, and we don't have any of our money stuck in the deal other than the five hundred thousand dollars we put up front. Okay, so the deal, you, yeah, the money you put up front, you get that back when when the deal closes, or do you make the the buyer you assign it to pay you back right away so if you put thousand dollars in the beginning we get that when it's closed but sure. at the step up when we go firm we say okay we'll give you third twenty thousand forty thousand deposit as long as it's assigned by before we go firm we just push yeah buyers assignees yeah. deposit to the buyer okay and what type of properties are you guys uh, trying to wholesale and wholesaling yeah so we, we are basically working in an ours radius around cambridge whatever we can find and we also tried to do in barry which was pretty awesome so i'm not sure if we are good to disclose yeah. that details because it's, it's going on right now but uh, it's kind of a nearly a very good profit and i mean i think in wholesaling it's not like this is my niche and only this is what i will wholesale Correct. Uh, whatever we find as long as it fits our business model we keep it if it does not fit our business model, but the numbers are juicy, we wholesale it. That's right. the idea. Okay. So are you are you guys flyering neighborhoods? Are you door knocking? Yeah. Do you have a team that door knocks? Like, what's your your method of generating leads? So our main method is dropping flyers because it is tested, like tested with time, and it always works. And for us personally, doing our full time jobs, we didn't have so much time to spare. So we would rather pay for the flyers than actually mm -hmm. burn time. Um, we have tried a different, uh, a few different techniques like driving for dollars and just getting the whole database of the city, yes. which kind of helps. And then you target those houses yeah. because having a whole database of the city is priceless as long as you are investing in that market. Correct. So we hit the, if we hit them with a personal note for the a, a class a class like the the yeah. important, like the worst worst houses we hit them regularly and then we go down according to the grading system we have okay so your goal after the worst neighborhoods or or good neighborhoods with bad houses or, or a mix? No, no, no 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 so once we suppose if you're driving on king street yeah. for example right sure. in king street we found one of the houses is boarded up like yeah. why would you have a boarded up house so we drop a letter then and there 
and yeah. then every month or every two months we'll be dropping another letter like we have this yeah uh, letters over here we have like a hundred or something we have stamped it over here we yeah. put our uh, letter in the envelope and just go and drop it like put it in the post box and then sure yeah so are you mailing the the owner's address directly because a lot of times the boarded up house the owner obviously lives somewhere else um, so if it's a juicy deal we'll do the reverse lookup we'll find yeah. them out you aware of trying to see if they have any other properties and if yeah. that looks like is primary we target that as compared to this yeah. that's the general idea yeah, I mean, the city's database, the tax roll, they'll probably have the mailing address for the tax bill so that you could just mail that directly. Um, yep. I know I've done that before. That hasn't worked, but I mean, well, yeah. sort of it has. It depends. Like, I guess you have to have a question mark. I did tie up a deal and then I bailed on it because the guy didn't disclose stuff, just like what, what we were talking about. Um, okay, so so basically you're mostly just mailing right, right to these addresses. Yeah, correct. Other than and, the Canada Post Flyer Batch, which we do direct mail campaign. So you do the, the Canada Post to residential addresses. Yeah. Are you doing like a few thousand at a time or 10,000 at a time? So we started with 20,000 per month and then we slowly scaled it to 30 and 40. Um, what we have realized is when we drop a batch of 40, the volume of calls that come in, uh, we can't really efficiently handle all the calls it's when it money, all yeah. Yeah. come at the same time. Mm -hmm. So what we're trying to do next is to like, our goal is to come to 50,000 a month flyers uh, and then just divide it into two sections, first of the month, mid of the month. And then we have uh, involved one of our, uh, we just hired someone who is taking, the, who's built the first point of contact, who's filtering all the calls. Yep. And then we do the walkthroughs, we take over the yeah. uh, negotiations from there. How many walkthroughs will you do? Uh, like if you're doing 40,000 a month, how many walkthroughs are you doing a month? It depends because when you send flyers in Cambridge, you barely get like out of 20,000 flyers, you get barely get like four calls. Yeah. But then when you send it to different markets, yeah. uh, the reaction is very different. Depends like on how much people have seen that. Like how many, how often do they get flyers? Like the first time I, I talked about the first time I did it in Hamilton, no one was doing the area I was doing clearly because I got my phone blown up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hundreds and it's of calls. About, <laughs> and it's yeah. also about repetitively hitting because they won't call you when they see your flyer for the first time, but when they have seen it for the third time, they will call you. And sometimes it's more like, oh, I might sell my house four months down the line. So they hold on to that flyer and you get like a call yeah. five months later and you're like, I didn't even fly at that area anytime like recently. And you're like, okay. Uh, so that's, uh, yeah. Cool. Okay. So that's moving well for you guys. How many properties are you wholesaling a month or, you know, I guess if you're not new, maybe you're not quite one a month with, uh, mm -hmm. with those number of calls. Um, so what we're trying, the funny thing with wholesaling is like we are investors first and wholesalers afterwards. Yeah. So we pretty much close on everything we get for the most part, unless it's a retail buyer, um, retail buyer deal. And then we just, uh, even finding a retail buyer on an investor list is tough. So yeah. we just, yeah. We, we involve a couple agents and yeah. we dispose the deal like that. And then everyone gets a piece of the pie. Yep. Nice. Yeah. So you guys have turned this into to some significant money. I mean, obviously, primarily it's building your portfolio. How many more properties have you acquired since, well, you had your first two? <laughs> what are you at now? Uh, we are at, uh, I think, 20, 20 units, with, out of which most of them are in KWC in two okay. years. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so is that like 10 houses or like 15 um, houses or 15, how many buildings? Have, I think we have a couple duplexes here. Yeah. Uh, we have a duplex in Windsor, the five unit building that we bought. Yeah. Um, something clicked to us and we are like, oh, we should convert this into an eight unit building. And we're so that. we are converting that into an eight, yeah. um, which is an interesting, very interesting project <laughs> because we are learning so much doing like a reno worth $800,000 for the first time. And it's it's a wonderful learning process. And nice. then um, got two side-by-side -side triplexes under contract in Kitchener, Kitchener. for 1.35 mil. Um, and a single Kitchener triplex goes for 850 with tenants. Without tenants, it goes 900. minimum 900. Wow. So we got two for 1.35. So we have like enough yeah. meat on the bone. So we're just thinking we should yeah. partner, wholesale, keep it. Yeah. We want to focus on multifamily apartment buildings. So there's yeah. like so many things going on right now. Yeah. Oh, you guys are impressive. You, you've taken what you've learned. You've applied it. I think, did you guys ever make it out to the meetups that I used to host? 
I I went to the first meetup in Burlington, Burlington before yeah, yeah, COVID, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't have any properties back then, but I used to go in all the meetups. So yeah. I saw you over yeah. there and saw a lot of people over there. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think might start doing those again. Yes, Absolutely. yes, yeah. And I think wholesaling has helped us a lot. Like in the first year in 2021, we were we had so many deals and we just missed it. Like, yeah. like I'm, I'm like <laughs> I, I, I will ponder on myself and I'm like looking at it and I say, how did I miss those good deals which I almost had? Correct. So coming in 2022, we got better at this. We failed so many times that we know where we go wrong and we have a foolproof plan of yeah making sure that those mistakes don't happen again. So I think in uh, January of 2022, um, we got a deal under contract in Barry, um, which came from a flyer batch that we had dropped like five months Six ago. Months, yeah. And we went to the place. This is an interesting story. We went to the place. Um, so this guy calls me and he's like, hey, I want to sell my house. And I kind of filtered him out and he was looking like he was motivated. So, and he's like, hey, uh, can you come tomorrow? I have other wholesalers coming as well. I'm like, I'm not driving all the way there. So I qualify him to get it to a point where what's the price range? What if I give you something in the prices? Let me do my due diligence. So I do my due diligence. I'm like, okay, if I do fall in the price range, I will give you an offer. I'm not coming there to see your house. And if I do give an offer, which is your price range, will you accept it? He's like, okay. I'm like, oh my God, this deal is going to work. So all the wholesalers were coming the next day. Yeah. I'm like, Ishan, we need to go no matter what. We have to leave right now. And so we finish our office at five. Five. And right. then we just pretty much start driving. And there's and a snowstorm on the way. Yeah, a friend of our calls. <laughs> and he's like, why are you going today? Go tomorrow. There's a snowstorm going on. I'm like, I don't care about the snowstorm. I have a good SUV. I have my brother. We'll just figure it out. You're driving like 40 or 50 kilometers per hour <laughs> on the highway. It took like one and a half hour journey. It took like two and a half hour to three hours. So we roughly get there at 7.30. Yeah. And the moment we enter, so Ishan is very good with his social skills. Um, so he's like, uh, the moment he opens the door, he's like, I love your energy. And, you know, kind of get it, got him talking and ease him off. And then 15 minutes, we do the walkthrough. And then we are sitting on his table and we're like, okay, um, quarter two, he started vibing. Yeah. And when we started vibing, we just like talking about world, COVID, people, mentality, everything that's out there. But the house. But the house. So we started talking and then we're like, it's 12.15 midnight. Midnight. And we're just vibing. Yeah. And at 12.15, you're like, shall we do this? He's like, okay, perfect. So he's like, you wanted 700 and I was going to give you 700, but I saw that the upper washroom is half washroom. So I'll give you 695 and he accepted it. So that's yeah. amazing. And we had like conditional for five days. So we, instead of doing a normal inspection, we did a construction inspection. Yeah. What it entails it, he will do the inspection, how it's done. But at the same time, whatever is broken, he will give me a quote of how much you can get it fixed for this price right mm -hmm. so we got a quote and then one week later we go back to him and we are sitting on his table and again the same thing we get there at 7 30 we're again vibing till 12 <laughs> o'clock because <laughs> we hit it off so uh at 12 15 i pull up the uh the inspection report and i'm like see there is expenses of thirty five thousand dollars. so can you please reduce something so we get it under contract for how much finally 675 675 in the middle so this was like, this is, this is the emphasis on, so wholesaling is not just like going and pricing the things. It's about understanding the person and making the person feel the trust in working with you rather than anyone else. So just imagine if I'm trying to go and talk to a girl who looks beautiful and I'm scared, I don't have that much confidence. She can smell the fact that I don't have enough confidence. Similarly, when I'm going to a wholesale, uh, persons to see someone's house to see their house and I'm always thinking numbers and I'm thinking thinking they can feel the vibe so as long as you feel comfortable you're here to help them to sell their house whatever price point they want basically and if it works out it works out if it doesn't you want more money that's cool as long as you know what you need right and if you need more money also what we do is instead of like hey no work with us and all that we don't work like that we educate them so these are the comparables in your neighborhood. Whoever real estate agent you're going with, if they tell you that it will sell for $2 million or $5 million, these are the comparables. So it will actually sell for somewhere in this range. So I just want you to be educated and you decide who you want to work with. I'm okay with that completely, right? So this way you're kind of building a bond, building trust. This we learned the hard way. 
and then once we started having pro like systems in place now things are actually picking up pace and yeah so that deal we got it for 675 yeah how much did we wholesale it for uh you want to share yeah. all the numbers so <laughs> we wholesale it for uh eight hundred thousand dollars assignment fees yeah and out of that it was like a flip so our agent helped us out in disposing it so among the two agents they kept 40, I think 40, yeah. 40,000 or so. So we made $160,000 in wholesale. that one wholesale deal even yeah. without closing on that. Yeah. Now would, uh, would this type of deal, like, I mean, you talked about showing them comps. Did it just end up that, that it appraised more or it sold more, yes. the market went up? Um, yes. yes, it did appraise for the price that we wholesale did for. Yes. Okay. So when you, did you show him, did he know that he was leaving money on the table with you guys? So the, the idea is like, I think if uh, you would have noticed everything went up by hundred thousand easy from, from December, December to January. To Jan. And this, yeah. we had the first conversation on January 7th right. and didn't really have to get there where we show him comps because there was a level of crush to a point where he signed the deal on the spot. Without oh, okay. So you didn't even have to get into that conversation. Oh, right. that's even better. <laughs> if it doesn't happen. Like, like I mentioned, right? Like we were vibing so much that we had that level of trust and communication that moment the documents pulled up we yeah. already not everybody wants the highest price right so it's just a matter of yeah like you said finding out the why getting in there learning about them and connecting with them most importantly right um okay guys this has been enlightening i, I like how transparent you are about things and that's you know that that's a great trust builder there too right that, that's obviously why people like working with you how do people follow with you connect connect with you where should we send them so uh we are on Instagram and Facebook, and uh, we would like to just want them to connect with us through Instagram, Facebook, or email us. We can sure. drop our email as well. Yeah. And we are basically moving forward to work in the multifamily space. We uh, we went for a couple of weeks in US as well. In Arizona, we saw like 10 apartment buildings in Phoenix and LA downtown and now we are going to Edmonton as well so we are, we are trying to look for properties where more cash flow incentive in the apartment building space that's my my focus in the business and he'll be taking care of the operations and wholesale so if there's any questions related to these aspects reach out to and if this aligns with your investing strategy reach out and we'll see if we can partner on something if it makes sense yeah thanks so much for doing this really appreciate it Thank and, you. And uh, hope we can we can stay in touch. Maybe we'll uh, meet each other at a meetup again in the near future. Absolutely. I'll be looking forward to that. <laughs> Thank you so much for having us, Andrew. All right, guys. Have a good day. Absolutely. Bye. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Please make sure to share this episode far and wide. Help it help more people. I really appreciate you tuning in. I'll see you on the next one.